0: I don't know if I have the ecclesial authority to add to our Constitution and bylaws spontaneously, but I'm going to try nonetheless, and we have a new rule tonight. Fasters to the front of the line. (laughs) Fasters to the front of the line. If you've been eating, you just wait in here, and we'll let you know when it's your turn. We'll just let you know. There may or may not be some donuts left for you. Hey, I was hanging out in the uh, cafe on Tuesday with... Uh, the Marriage Life Group, we have a life group, Discover City Life, that me- meets here on Tuesday as well, and, and uh, so we were hanging out in there together, and, and there were pictures that were going across the screen of the uh, couples that are in the Marriage Life Group, and uh, some of them were recent pictures, and then some of them were not so recent, and, uh, and there was a picture that popped up of Steve and Lori Ruggiero. Hey, 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 come on. Oh, no. There we go. I told Steve, I said, you have just as much hair as Laurie did back then. And the times have changed, right? So I put this up here because they're being investigated for cloning because if you've seen their son and daughter, and if you haven't, that's okay, you can just look up here because that's what they look like, right? There's Aaron and there's Jessica. And uh, the the if you have children, right, people are trying to figure out who, who do they look like? But then there's sometimes where there's just, there's just no question. The resemblance is just so striking. And, and when I saw that picture, it made me think of this picture that's coming up next. That's my dad in his early 20s. It looks a little bit like Derek, does it not? Yeah. Unbelievable, right? Somebody was telling me the other day that that they were looking at a, a picture, I think it was it was Pastor Justin talking about somebody in your family from years ago on a was it a softball team or a sports team and, uh, and how much it looks like your brother, even though it was generations before. So sometimes it's like the Ruggerios, right? It just goes from one generation to the next. And, and like for our family, it's like it skipped a generation. Sometimes it lasts for many generations, but we but we find in this human experience this idea of. Resemblance, and I think that God, like so many things, He puts it in here because He's using it to point to a kingdom principle. Now, I could ask you the question tonight if you and if I are created in the image of God and in the likeness of God, do you bear His resemblance? But the question I want us to wrestle with tonight and a question that we're going to carry with us for many years to come is this, if we collectively together are created in his image and likeness, does our church bear the resemblance of Eden? Father, I pray that on this night that we celebrate these 13 years, that something of you is being birthed in us that is going to be like a rudder that's going to set a course. And we know that through the power of your spirit, you're going to be the wind and our sails to take us forward into our future, but it requires conviction to stay the course. Put that in us tonight firmly, oh God, that we would never forsake it. In Christ's name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. Imago Dei, Latin for the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 to 27, it says, then God said, let us make man, mankind, in our image, this is out of the New American Standard, according to our likeness, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we talked about this a little in our Holy Spirit series, and then it goes on to say, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps. On the earth, verse 27, God created mankind in his own image, the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Now, this word here in the text, image and likeness, these are not synonyms. In the Hebrew, these are two very distinct words. The word for image is the Hebrew word salim, it's the same word that you always find in the Old Testament when the Bible talks about idolatry. When people made images that they in turn worship, it's the same word that God used to talk about the image that we now bear. There's a reason that the Bible uses that same word. Other words were available, but that's the one that God chose because God sees that they're connected. The reason why mankind is so inclined to idolatry is because something inside of us wants to be the creator that builds the image as opposed to identifying as that which has been created by a perfect God. Now, we're called to create. But that calling to create can never displace the mandate that we must always identify as the one who was made by him. We're drawn to idolatry so often because there's something inside of us that wants to be worshipped by the one that creates us. Which is why in Old Testament times and even today, we have a tendency to worship the things that we create because something perverse inside of us longs to be the thing that was created that's worshipped by our God. But we were created to worship him. There is this word likeness, which in the Hebrew is the word demut. Now, both of these words are interesting. And a man by the name of Irenaeus who lived a long time ago. You know you lived a long time ago when the year you were born only has three numbers in it, and the first one's one. Right? I'm getting older. When you're filling out applications online and you're scrolling to look for the year that you were born. Right? (laughs) Right? And all of a sudden, your computer freezes up because of all the scrolling that's taken place. Imagine to scrolling to the year 135. Irenaeus was born in 135, died in 205. He is one of the most influential teachers of Christian doctrine in the church. His influence has carried forward for centuries. Many people have beliefs and ideas and teachings and doctrines about Salim and Demod, about image and likeness. We think about Thomas Aquinas. We think about John Calvin. Even in our modern society, we have Karl Barth. But I like Arrhenius. I like what he teaches about this idea of image and likeness. He teaches that the image of God that we bear is the ability to think and reason. It's free will. Likeness, on the other hand, is different from image. Likeness is spiritual and moral accountability. I like to think of it as our moral compass. So when God created us at the beginning of time, he bestowed upon us his image, which is the right to choose, but he also bestowed upon us this idea of a likeness, which is moral and spiritual accountability, a moral compass. He gave mankind both. With the intention that they would work in concert with each other. That the likeness of God, the demut of God, the moral compass of God would always instruct our choices. Just as it does with God himself. Now when you look into the creation account in Genesis 1, 3 through 25. We're not going to read all of those verses for time's sake, but if you're a note taker, you can reference them. Genesis 1, 3 through 25, there is a pattern to the language of the story of creation. There's the phrase, let there be, which is often repeated. There's times where God says, let the waters. Then he says, let the land. Then he says, let them, referring to various parts of what he has created in the first five days, even in the beginning of the sixth day. He talks about let the earth. But when you get to verse 26, the language does something that it has not yet done. In verse 26, God says, let us, because he's about ready to do something deeply personal. God is about to give something he's not yet given in the story of creation, the Imago Dei, his image and his likeness. Everything else that he's created is wonderful. In fact, God refers to it as good. It's like as you're reading through the creation story, there's times where God pauses and, and, and looks upon what he's built, and he's excited for what's been created. He had a dream, right, what Pastor Justin was talking about. But at some point, that dream has to get to a place where creative activity begins to take place. Dr. King, his dream would not be remembered if the people had not left that day and begun the work of creative activity. God gave us His image and His likeness. And then things go quickly awry all too soon. Genesis 3:10: Adam speaking. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked. And so I hid myself. God created Adam and Eve with the power to create. And it's in this verse, it's so often overlooked, is actually the statement that describes the first thing that they created. You see, Adam and Eve's first act of creation was to create the likeness of man. Because when they disobeyed, when they rebelled, When they ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Irenaeus teaches and espouses, and I think he's right, that they exercised what's called, right, the selim of God, the right to choose, but they used that right to choose to cause the likeness of God to die. And in that moment, they created the likeness of man. In that moment, they created moral corruption, Adam and Eve used this sacred gift that God had given them to create a plague that would be inflicted upon mankind even now, today. We are created and born into this world with the right to choose, but we are also born with the likeness of Adam moral corruption, lacking spiritual and moral accountability. Genesis 5, 1 through 3. Listen to what it says. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Now, the text intentionally leaves out the image of God because it's focusing on what's now been lost. God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Verse two, he created them male and female, he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. Now listen to verse three. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. The book of Genesis right here in the beginning of the Bible is trying to help us to understand what's happened now to mankind. That with every successive generation, the image of God has remained with us. The right to choose, the power to choose, the ability to reason. But like every other thing in the Garden of Eden, mankind also was created with the ability to produce after its own kind, which is the other phrase that you see repeated in Genesis 1 over and over and over again. And everything else that was created in the Garden of Eden was created originally. It was unique. Nothing else had that image and likeness until God had spoken it into existence. But he bestowed upon us something sacred, mankind Even though there is some originality to who we are, it says that we were created with God's image and likeness because the intent was that as we produce after our own kind that we would carry forward in this world the image and the likeness of our creator. We carry forward his image, but we forsook his likeness. John 1, 12 through 13. Listen to this. But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believed in his name, what does it say? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's a reason why when the gospels come onto the scene, When the book of John is being inspired in the Apostle John by the Holy Spirit, the language is unique. The language is specific. It has a focus because it's tying back to the creation story. It's talking about family because there is a restoration of resemblance. Jesus makes it possible for you and I, born into this world with the image of God, He makes possible the restoration of the likeness of God. God wanted mankind to keep the image. He did not want Selim to die because he knew that man would one day have the opportunity to exercise free will and free choice to choose once again, just as Adam chose to lay it down, that we would have the opportunity to pick it up. And that he knew that one day that Jesus would be sent into this world to die for what Adam did, to die for what Adam set into motion. It's why scripture speaks of Jesus as being the second Adam. That he's the pathway for humanity to continue to celebrate the image of God, but to see in us a restoration of the likeness of God. That when we make a vow of devotion to Jesus Christ, that we now have within us a moral compass that's been missing. There is spiritual and moral accountability that is supposed to guide the free will that we will always have. Now you might say, that's an interesting theology lesson, but what does that have to do with the church's birthday? What does it have to do with... 2019? What does it have to do with turning 13? What does it have to do with our future? And I give you this phrase, the attributes of Eden. See, if you spend any amount of time in Scripture, you know the Bible tells us that God is love, but that's not how he first introduced himself to the universe. If you spend any amount of time in Scripture, you know the Bible tells us that God is our father. We celebrate these beliefs. We champion these beliefs. But that is not how God first introduced himself to the universe. If you want to see how God first introduced himself to the universe, then you don't have to look any further to Genesis 1. And what you find is that God revealed himself to the universe first and foremost as a creator. And I would suggest to you tonight that if the church is going to walk in the fullness of the image and the likeness of God, then we too are called to create. We too have been endowed with what I would call the divine imagination. It's what Pastor Justin was talking about, this ability to dream God-sized dreams. You might say, Well, Fred, I thought you talked about this idea that there is the risk of idolatry if the created wants to now be the creator. But that's why there's the clarifying statement we're supposed to create, we're supposed to build, we're supposed to establish, but always keeping our own identity as that which has also been created by a perfect God. We never find fulfillment in what we build ultimately we find fulfillment in the one who has built us. And as long as our identity remains as being the created, as long as our identity remains in that which has been built, then I'm telling you there is a release of a divine imagination that enables us to begin to create instead of replicate. When a community of people come together under the banner of Jesus Christ, collectively declaring him as their redeemer and master, they set aside the likeness of Adam, and the likeness of us is restored to them. They walk in the fullness of the Genesis 1 Imago day, And a people walking in the fullness of the Imago day are a people who should resemble their God, creating in his image and likeness and not our own. I'm not talking to you tonight about being unique for unique sake. I'm not talking to you tonight about being different so that we can be trendy. I'm not talking to you tonight about, uh, uh, about setting ourselves apart in a way because of hubris and arrogance. I'm not talking about being different because we're so insecure that we want to pull away from what everyone else is doing. What I'm talking to you about is having a conviction that is unrelenting, that believes at the very heart of the nature of God is still this passion for creativity and for imagination. And when we let that passion for creativity, when we turn it loose in us, then we will begin to build things that the world has not yet seen. I believe that for us as a church, That over these last 13 years, even though maybe I've not yet understood it in the language that I'm finding tonight, but that we've been operating under a divine mandate to create and to not replicate. You might say, well, what does that look like? And I would say it looks like you not waking up tomorrow by an alarm clock because you got to get to church. I would say it looks like a church that meets on Saturday not because we're trying to be trendy but because we believe that God has given us a mandate, that church can be done in a different way, that it can be done in a way that doesn't fracture the family that it's supposed to build, that it can be done in a way that doesn't wear people out but builds them up. Over the last 13 years, you would know that church for us, it looks different. It looks like husbands and wives serving in ministry together. And saying we're not going to just assume what so many others have done where families get into the church and all of a sudden their whole lives are these parallel spiritual tracks. No, we want them to intersect. It looks like husbands and wives serving together at every level of the church, even as elders and pastors. It means that we celebrate the voice and the influence and authority that God has bestowed upon both genders. It looks like young people having a say in the church today. It looks like a church that says we're not going to buy into the, 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 the perspective that's been pervasive in church that our generation says to the next generation, you wait your turn because we had to wait our turn. We're a church that believes in generational tethers, that there's got to be things in the church today that their voice, their influence, their perspective moves to the front of the line. Telling you, if you want the next generation to be here when it's time to pass the baton, then give them a voice. What does it look like here at the City Life Church over these last 13 years? It means that we look like the city that's outside. It means that when you look around, there should be vocational diversity. There should be socioeconomic diversity. There should be ethnic diversity and also cultural diversity. There should be gender diversity. When you look around this room and you see it, there should be people who are are right in the prime of their youth, and then there's like those, like I'm including myself, the prime of our youth was some time ago, like Arrhenius. but we come together as one. What does it mean to create and not replicate? It means that a church can believe that we can work together with other congregations who might believe differently than we do, that might look a little differently than we do, that might have a space that's not exactly how we would design it, It means that as a church, we believe that we can find what we do agree on and stop focusing on what we don't agree on and come together and be the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer in John 17, that the church would be one as they are one. I'm a firm believer that there's not going to be another outpouring, a great outpouring, an historic outpouring of the Spirit of God until the church comes together. So many times we posture ourselves waiting on God. I'm telling you, I think God's waiting on us. And we're going to be a church that takes a step in that direction. I'll tell you what also it looks like. It looks like a church that says to people, it doesn't matter who you voted for in the last election. It doesn't matter what party you affiliate with, that we can come together under the banner of Jesus Christ and have healthy dialogue, respectful exchanges Communication that helps all of us see a perspective maybe that we don't have. I've been talking about over the last several weeks with pastor friends of mine. I'm convinced that one of the greatest reasons why there is division in the church has nothing to do with the color of the skin. It has everything to do with the party that you affiliate with. There is division in the church today because people are not open to others having different ideas about politics than what they have And so they keep a closed door because they have a closed heart. The banner of Christ should transcend politics. This this is creating. This is what the Imago Dei should look like for a church collectively. It should look like the attributes of Eden. Now, you might be saying, Fred, are those the attributes of Eden? And what I would say, no, they're not. What I would say to you is that when you give yourself to the divine imagination when you give yourself to this belief that God can inspire dreams in you that will always be within the boundaries of Scripture. But I'm telling you, that's a big boundary. Is the church less than it's supposed to be? Because we've made the boundaries smaller than Scripture ever intended. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. When a church is being faithful to create everything that God puts in their heart, creating instead of replicating, something else begins to happen. Now that list I gave to you, those are things that God's inspiring us to create And we're going to be faithful to those things. And as he continues to reveal things to us over this next decade and beyond, we're going to be faithful to those things too. And as we're faithful to those things, what I believe is when you're faithful to the divine imagination that God gives to you, something deeper begins to form. Something else begins to happen. Something deeper begins to form in that community. That something is a culture. But I'm not going to use that word tonight because many people have different ideas about what that means. What I want to use to you tonight, the phrase I'm introducing to you is attributes of Eden. When you submit yourself to a path of creating as an expression of the image and the likeness of God, the attributes of Eden begin to define the values of your church. Because when I look into the story of Eden, you know what I find? I find diversity. When I look into seven days in Genesis one, I find innovation, I find glory, I find harmony, I find beauty, I find originality. I find prospering and thriving and inspiring. I find life and equality and pleasure. Eden in Hebrew means pleasure. Hot and ready Krispy Kreme donuts, just saying. When I look into the story of creation, I find a world that is boundless and I find liberty and I find order. And my great desire is that those attributes will forever define this church, this campus, the campus in Suffolk and every campus, every seed of every campus that's in this room tonight, that these divine attributes, the attributes of Eden will always be the values that speak to who we are. But the only way that's gonna happen, if that's our dream, if that's our dream, the only way that dream's gonna be fulfilled if there is a creative activity that is inspired by the Holy Spirit and we say we're not going to replicate, we're going to create, even if it's ideas that no one else is doing. If you're looking for a church for the status quo, you're gonna be uncomfortable here. If you're looking for a church that's not willing to take massive steps of faith, you're gonna be uncomfortable here. If you're looking for a church that is uniform, meaning that everybody is like everyone, you're gonna be uncomfortable here. But if you're looking for a church that says we believe that Jesus Christ made possible the likeness of God to be restored to man, and that that moral compass and that spiritual and moral accountability exists to instruct our free will and that free will is there so that we can choose to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit to look into the heart of God that we can discern because we have the mind of Christ that what I would say to you is welcome welcome home stand with me Father as we declare this night as we say happy birthday to one another What we say above all else is thank you. We worship you. We acknowledge you. We recognize you. That you are the creator. That you are the perfect God. And that we are your creation. Find in us, find in us a passion and a loyalty and a devotion to only ever use the salim that you gave us, and that it will be instructed by the demut, the treasure of your likeness forever and always. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said amen. Let's worship together.